This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. It has been said that jazz is one of America's most original cultural art forms. Today, we'll have a conversation with Mr. Bill Heath about this art form and the role that North Carolina musicians have played in shaping it. Stay tuned, and Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters, and once again, I'm happy to be here in the studio and very pleased to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how are you doing, brother? I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I've been looking forward to doing a show on jazz for quite some time, so yeah, I'm you, thrilled. You have said jazz has played an important <laughs> role in your life. You want to share a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember uh, jazz is near and dear to my heart. I remember when I was in college at Morehouse, um, I took a class on jazz history, mm-hmm. um, and from that point on, I just developed a very deep affinity for it, and I think about some of the artists that um, whose music I identify most with. So there's a great uh, Hammond B3 organist, Jimmy Smith, uh, Mm -hmm. Wes Montgomery, the great guitarist, of course, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Dizzy Gillespie. And uh, I, you know, I I was just struck um, as I think back, thinking back on my college days um, at the realization of the influence that jazz has had, not only on African-American artists, Mm -hmm. right, like Toni Morrison, for example, but also on African-American intellectuals, Cornel West, for instance. So absolutely. And I think of Ralph Ellison. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So 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 the the reach of jazz um, extends far beyond the realm of music, strictly speaking. You know, you bring up those names. I also think, you know, Ralph Ellison and his work. And you think about I think about James Baldwin, because there was something very rhythmic about the James Baldwin's work. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the uh, one of the things that jazz models uh, well. And by the way, I should note that what's interesting about jazz also was that Duke Ellington, right, one of the country's greatest composers, hated the term jazz. As did Nina Simone. Right, Ellington preferred a term like Negro folk music. Simone felt that the term jazz was a term used by whites to define blacks. <laughs> so, but yeah, but I, I think that I think that the the singular create the improvisational creativity in jazz is very attractive to artists like Baldwin, or, right. or was attractive to artists right. like Baldwin and so forth. So. so Marcus, when we think yeah. about this this idea that it is one of America's most original cultural art forms, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? You know, when you hear that, uh, I think it probably is. I mean, I really can't. Of course, you know, uh, uh, ethnomusicologists have have traced it to you know various uh, uh, places of origin, including the African continent. But um, I don't know that there's anything quite like. Um, the American jazz tradition anywhere in the world. It really mm-hmm. does seem to be um, a, a unique musical idiom. Right. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I think that makes the American jazz tradition um, special right. uh, in that respect. And I'm always curious uh, of hearing people talk about its connection to, to music like ragtime. Yeah, and and I want to ask Bill Heath about that today. Scott and Joplin. Then, that's yeah. right. And then thinking about uh, blues itself, you know, rhythm and blues and all of that, and, you know, all how all of these things work together. Mm-hmm. You know, Marcus, recently, you know, we had a conversation not too long ago with Jeff Arnold. Mr. Jeff Arnold, who is the uh, executive director of the Black Mountain College Museum, mm-hmm. they just did... Um, <clears throat> Uh, they had a group here. Fresh Cut was the name of the group that came back to do um, to redo mm-hmm. Max Roach's um, 
we insist his Freedom Now suite. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. I had an opportunity to go see that, and it was just an absolutely brilliant performance. So I think about Max Roach, um, and, and, you know, I have a family member who was very close to Grady Tate, who was another major major drummer. So we want to explore some of these um, some of these issues and some of these people today when we come back in just a few minutes and talk with Mr. Bill Heath, who is a jazz enthusiast and a founder of the Carolina Bop Society. Marcus and I'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the show. Again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. I'm Darren Waters. We're coming to you here from Blue Ridge Public Radio right in downtown Asheville. You had a chance to listen to a little bit of Thelonious Monk there. So Marcus and I kind of changed it up. But we'll talk to Mr. Heath about that. But we just want to welcome him to the studio here, Mr. Bill Heath. Bill is, again, the founder of the Carolina Bop Society. It is is an organization that is dedicated to not only celebrating jazz, but also jazz musicians from North Carolina. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you for having me. I mm-hmm. appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you. So glad that you could be here. And I think that we'll just jump right into the subject here. Okay. Just talk about, especially the Carolina Bop Society. Can you? Uh, can we just start there, the founding of this society? What prompted you to start this society? Well, you know, it's it came about um, after some years, I was actually driving across country initially. It was one of my first visits to Asheville, as it were, and I was leaving California, and I actually stayed or had a layover um, in Kansas City, Missouri. And so in Kansas City, I went by the Negro Leagues um, Museum, mm-hmm. and there they also had housed um, uh, inside that uh, that facility. They had um, a jazz museum also dedicated to – most of it was dedicated to um, – uh, Charlie Parker and um, I th- oh and uh, Count Basie, mm-hmm. but and it extended throughout other Kansas City notables. But that's how I came about realizing that. And so, on my trip, on continuing my trip here to North Carolina, I suddenly thought, wow, you know, Carolina has a bunch of musicians who really had an influence in the world of jazz. Well, I wonder what Carolina has done for right, it. Right. And I got here, and one of the things I was really trying to see or figure out uh, to see how Carolina was treating its uh, its uh, uh, sons and daughters in the jazz world. And there was a few markers. I actually stopped in um, Hamlet, John Coltrane's birthplace, and they actually had a highway marker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't really noted. And so I was finding those kind of things throughout the throughout the state, but not really highlighting and celebrating it. It was it was more like, well, you know, John Coltrane was born here. Right, right. And people would just leave it at that. Right, right. And I thought, hmm, this guy's going to, you know. You can go a little deeper than that. Yeah, let's right. go a little deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Because most folks, when they think about those kind of musicians, they think of New York, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. those kind of big city places where, where which, you know, obviously uh, jazz is foremost there. Mm-hmm. 
But I thought, maybe it's time to celebrate the homecoming here in North Carolina and this get this thing going here. So that was really yeah, the Because I think, you know, Bill, you know, before Marcus jumps back in here, you know, I think about other states. Other states have done a really good job. Precisely. Really, Precisely. you know, bringing us together. I think about Mississippi and its music mm-hmm. trail, you know, especially with the blues. So I agree. I, and I do believe that there is more of an effort uh, at the state level now mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. try to uh, be more intentional about how we think about these things. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is just um, I, I wasn't aware. It, it's just unbelievable to me that, um, that there's not a more significant um, uh, marker to John Coltrane, given that he is clearly one of the biggest names in the history of jazz domestically and internationally. So I, I was amazed to hear mm-hmm. that. But um, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, Bill, a little bit about some of the programs and activities that are organized through the Bop Society and what sort of aims are, are some of the aims of these programs and activities. Well, what, I think what is important to try and get through right now, and I, I am sort of new here in Asheville. Mm-hmm. I've only been here for um, about a year three or four months. Uh, But I think it's important to try and get an entity housing this so Mm -hmm. that there's a regular place where people can come and learn more about it and about their their fellow um, jazz musicians Mm -hmm. who are from this area. I I don't seem to find um, one particular spot in er in anywhere around here. And so, sorry about that, (laughs) my mute is on. but yeah, so I think it's important to try and get that out of out of the way here. Um, and yeah, I would like to have that. I think Asheville is a good setting for it mm-hmm. because Asheville has a lot of visitors and people from around the world who come in and celebrate here. Oh, really uh, it is a little isolated. It's not in the mm. heart of the metropolitan areas like Raleigh, Durham, and Charlotte, right, or anything. Right. But still, I think it, it it suits itself. I mean, on a given weekend, Asheville's got five hundred thousand people walking the streets. It seems right, like. <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, it, it could do it could do, do better. You know, and you know, I think that the state is ripe for the creation of a cultural center or yeah, a museum. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know, on a smaller scale than what we have in Washington D.C. now. Exactly. But I think there's such a rich history with this yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Now, th- this is what I'm interested in hearing you talk a little bit about, Bill. Civil rights, because mm-hmm. you have written about this in mm-hmm. some of your work. You've written mm-hmm. about the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and how jazz played an important role in the mm-hmm. civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I think again of uh, Max, Max Roach here mm-hmm. and um, the "We Insist the Freedom Now" mm-hmm. suite, mm-hmm. because that was. I did not know the backstory with that, and I did find out the backstory this weekend that that was commissioned by the NAACP for him to do this as a way to celebrate the 100th anniversary of emancipation. Yeah. But then it grew into so much more yeah. than yeah. that. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about jazz and its influence on the modern on the modern civil rights movement? Yeah, you know, um, as you as you were saying earlier off off mic about uh, some people who did not like that term jazz. It really is a marketing uh, mm-hmm. term. Um, yeah, so what happened, really jazz has always been in the forefront of that in in a sense of of its background in, uh, it comes from R&B, from the, from the old 
work songs, the slave songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it builds up from that era, the spirituals. Uh, there's a strong connection between a lot of the Carolina, um, what I call beboppers or modern jazz folks. They all come from a strong spiritual background. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually learn to play instruments in the church and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, so they have that build up, that sort of growth from its own um, um, uh, background in the historical narrative of slavery, the spirituals, goes up into um, to ragtime and so forth. All of these incremental steps leads to us uh, becoming um, into the into the postmodern jazz period of the 1940s and so forth. Mm-hmm. And generally, what happens is that what or what did happen, as they say, um, was that the that the there was a time of ripe where these musicians started to flip the switch, if you will, where they did not necessarily think that um, they had to go to the same same old standard barracks. A little dry, excuse me. <clears throat> Thanks. So what happened was that usually uh, as they grew, this music grew, they found the need to um, uh, practice a new type of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, um, you know, jazz musicians were, they were considered, you know, entertainers. They mm-hmm. were considered uh, forward thinkers. Uh, so they could do things that other folks, you know, regular black folks couldn't do as, as entertainers. As these jazz musicians went on to create all these new sounds, and yes, uh, as a result of that, they continued to forge a new path in the political struggle as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dr. King in particular, uh, as well as others, uh, quickly recognized their value, and it became sort of a soundtrack to their, mm-hmm. to their movement, mm-hmm. uh, political movement, uh, in terms of uh, uh, desegregating the world. That's key, and and you mentioned um, jazz innovation, but I think about people like Miles Davis, for example, who by the 1980s has really um, inaugurated a new form of jazz called modal jazz. And for example, just listen to his famous pieces, All Blues and and, and So What. Uh, But you mentioned John Coltrane earlier as having roots right here in North Carolina. Uh, Who are some other major jazz musicians that come to mind when you think about this state's history? Yeah, this state is rich in in jazz uh, um, uh, personalities. Um, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, born in Cherwa, South Carolina, which is just across the border. Mm-hmm. But his formative years were in Laurenburg Institute. Laurenburg Institute was very, very um, uh, a quick side story about Long- Laurenburg Institute. Um, its founders, the Mc- the McQueens, I think. Uh, forget the last. Excuse me. Forgive me for that. But uh, they were. Um, they were um, um, disciples of Booker T. Washington, and Booker T. Washington sent sent them here. They they had to walk from Tuskegee, they had to walk from Tuskegee, um, um, Alabama, Alabama, to this area of Laurenburg. Took them a week, and this was back in the day where you know you could easily be pulled off and killed off to the side of the road there. Mm-hmm. But it got to Laurenburg Institute, and they established the Laurenburg Institute. Be- they didn't just come in with academics. They they realized that they had to brick and mortar. So they actually taught students how to become brick masons, and and and, and the the real work. And mm-hmm. then once they got that done, then they went on to build this institution. Dizzy Gillespie um, actually was a student back in the twenties. His and he actually got a scholarship to attend this school mm-hmm. uh, because in Cherwa black students only got to, I think, the eighth grade. Okay. So there was no high school uh, school for them. So Chero, uh, so so his folks sent him to Laurenburg where he excelled. He just 
he thrived. He tells the story of how uh, it was his saving grace. He he was he actually played football. Uh, he actually um, uh, yeah he he had all kinds of instruments to play with. Uh, his dad was a musician, and the story goes where as they got a, a some of his um, his dad's friends who were musicians uh, left the instruments at. Dizzy's father's house because he because his dad was afraid they might go and pawn it <laughs> if they didn't leave it at his house. So, but his dad has a story where um, uh, there's a piano that he got and they couldn't fit it in the house, so he had to tear off half of the house to get the piano in and then rebuild the house back to what it was wow, in order to keep the piano in this house. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those kind of things. So we've got Dizzy Gillespie. Mm-hmm. We've got Miles, uh, excuse me, we've got Dizzy Gillespie. We have uh, Thelonious Monk from Rocky Mount. We have John Coltrane from Hamlet. We have the Heath Brothers, my namesake, mm-hmm. out of Wilmington, Percy and Jimmy. We have uh, Nina Simone out of Tryon, Tryon. here. This is, uh, she's a local lady. Right. Uh, we've got Max Roach. We've got a, we've got Lou Donaldson, we've got uh, Grady Tate as you mentioned, right, right. Uh, all kinds of folks. I mean, you can go on and on and on, really. And you know, I you know, Bill, I think um, about it, one of the things that I wish had had happened with the uh, reproduction of uh, Max Roach's um, "We Insist." was to have high school and middle school students exposed to that performance. There was not an opportunity to do that, but I think that these, as a historian, you know, these people are such inspirational figures to think about, you know, the contribution they made, and people need to know Mm -hmm. um, these stories. So I think that um, what you're trying to do through the Carolina Mm -hmm. Bop Society, Mm -hmm. I think, is very important to reintroducing a younger generation of of people to, to the legacy of these you know, tremendous, tremendous figures in not only our state's history, but in national history as well. Yeah, you know, I, you just you just uh, touched on something there, uh, and it jogged my memory. But you know, Dizzy and those folks when they came along, uh, they were they were teachers. They also they weren't just performers. Dizzy, his compositions, he actually he, it came about during the time when a lot of times, especially in the big band era, uh, when Dizzy first came on the scene. Uh, they a lot of musicians didn't like to tr- uh, trade their information, uh, mm-hmm. but Dizzy, who could read and write music, uh, would go to his other trump uh, sax player or whomever or whom, uh, other trumpet players even, and uh, would show them what he's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. What this is how you want to play this, or this is, you might want to try it this way. And so he would actually hold sessions. Thelonious Monk did the same thing. He was very influential in teaching other musicians uh, uh, and learning better and, and practicing their crafts. Right. So they just didn't hoard that information and, and just be quiet and about they it. it. Yeah. And again, going back to the other point with uh, the influence during the civil rights movement, yeah, they, they definitely uh, took part in that um, by saying, yes, these are the kinds of music we're playing. You mentioned the, the Freedom Now Suite. I mean, mm-hmm. Nina's Dr. Billy Taylor out of Greenville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, with his influence in um, uh, uh, um, I Wish I Knew How It Felt to Be Free. Actually, Nina Simone made that song sure very did. popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was Billy Taylor's uh, composition. Um, so you've got him. You've got um, John Coltrane, of course, doing Alabama in honor of the uh, – Giving praise to the four uh, girls who were killed in Alabama. So those kind of folks, they 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 played of the music, but of course they they also were very in touch with their time of that moment of their time. And yeah. So Bill, you know, this makes me think too about 
we're, we're talking about, you know, and I'm going to use this term. You can both you and Marcus can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, mm. but pure jazz. Mm. And because I want to get your thoughts. So Marcus and I both want to get your thoughts on contemporary jazz, what you think about it. But I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. What are your views on how this art form has evolved over time? The the, the actual um, well, now this term bebop wasn't necessarily uh, popular against some musicians. Some musicians didn't like that term. They called themselves modern, uh, uh, those who accepted the term modern jazz. I know that. um, But, yeah, they – one of the things that that the bebop era introduced uh, people like Monk was the reharmonization. They they harmonized music structurally so that you might hear a a popular tune that that the big bands were playing for dances, but Monk would recreate that. He would rewrite that, and 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 he would have these little mm-hmm. phrases that people were like, if if you weren't really accustomed to it, it was a whole different song. Mm-hmm. So the flatted fifth, the flatted fifth was very influential in establishing modern jazz sounds mm-hmm. that we listen to to this day. Um, um, there was another. I have to come back to that, but there was another. Uh, I have to look at my notes. Excuse me, mm-hmm. but yeah. He, um, the flat at fifth. Oh, the, of course, the B flat, mm-hmm. and so forth. So right. those kind of those kind of technical uh, trend that made a made a real impression on the jazz sounds that we listen to this day, and it's mm-hmm. continued. Right. I mean, the the the, the smaller compositions um, make up of the modern jazz, the, the 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 trios, the quintets, the the those kind of uh, uh, combinations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're listening to to this day. That was the very much an influence from these jazz musicians of that of the '40s when it really came along. Yeah, because I know, and that makes perfect sense because much of the <clears throat> jazz that I found myself find myself attracted to today is heavily influenced by the bop tradition, and also the, I would say the smooth jazz smooth jazz tradition mm-hmm. too, as opposed to some of the earlier jazz idioms. Yeah. Um, but so so, Bill, in terms of um, contemporary or present-day jazz artists who are up and coming, especially in this state, who comes to mind? Who should we be aware of? Who do you recommend that we we take a listen to? You know, it's, 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 there's so many. Um, ah. I really don't have a good grasp of a lot of the younger folk. Okay. I guess I'm getting just getting old, and so I still listen to these old dead guys who play piano. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a shame because there are some talented musicians out there. I do think of of, and he's not so young anymore. Um, but I do. Um, um, oh my goodness, uh, Cyrus Chestnut, and I'm thinking of the oh, the bass yeah. player. Um, oh God, I know him well too, and he he would he would beat me up if he knew that I'd forgotten his name like that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but there are some musicians out there who uh, who definitely continue on to tr- that tradition. Although, to your point about uh, the, the smooth stuff, they nowadays, a lot of the younger musicians have learned to Let's let's talk. Let me sort of make this transition here. Hip hop music mm-hmm. is is really people don't realize the connection that it had to bebop ah. with its scatting, mm-hmm. and so oh, yeah. the hip hop sound comes along. And so a lot of times these musicians nowadays, the younger folk that I can't remember, uh, they have no. They've learned how to incorporate this new hip hop sound, this new R and B sound mm. into their music, and this is what 
this is what grows and attracts younger uh, uh, younger audiences right. and keep them uh, keep them in the mix, if you will. Yeah, which is interesting because I remember when I was growing up in the '90s, um, some of the hip hop groups that I that I listened to, like a Tribe Called Quest, for example, were sampling heavily from jazz artists, exactly. Miles Davis exactly. and others. So exactly. now things that things are, it seems that things are kind of flipping a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Very interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So in in Bill, I, and, and as you you talk about that, one of the things I want to bring up here is, and I think of this in terms of what I know about. Um, uh, Motown and the Motown sound. And, you know, there's a great documentary um, that looks at that sound because the Funk Brothers, who were the bands behind most of the uh, mm. The, mm. the Motown artists, and they came out of Mississippi. So mm. many of them came out of Mississippi. But this particular documentary is called Standing in the Shadows. Mm. And so you don't know, we don't know so much about their stories, but this brings out their stories in a very rich and, I think, powerful way. But one of the things that they they bring up there is that the Motown was not a sound that was easily appropriated mm. by other groups. What about jazz and appropriation of jazz uh, sound? And, you know, th- have you given any thought to that? Uh, some thoughts. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes again back to the to the point of um, of how these folks were brought up in their ba- their own personal background. You should actually listen to it. Theolonius Monk does a pretty good job of of, uh, of this is my story, this is my song. Um, um, when he plays that that piece, this is an old spiritual song of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear also uh, Nia Simone doing a lot of a lot of pieces about uh, from her own spiritual background. Um, but I guess more to your point, your question is that uh, yeah, these folks they have such a rich tradition in in ex- in expression. Uh, and turning these kinds of sounds around that I think uh, it's safe to say they will live in, live forever in that regard. And they'll, they'll, these moments that we're, we're, you know, these folks are passing on, but they will be coming back. They will, they will be yeah. with us forever because they are the, 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 the bread and butter of the, of the sound mm-hmm. from what everybody else is still building upon. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about, when I think about great jazz pianists, for example, Art Tatum, Oscar Peterson, um, uh, e- e- even McCoy Tyner. I mean, there are artists today who were obviously influenced by these guys. Um, uh, contemporary jazz organists like Joey DeFrancesco, referencing directly the work of um, of Jimmy Smith. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely, I definitely hear your point, mm-hmm. Bill. Um, question: So, so uh, for for those who want to find out more about the the Bop Society, where can they go for uh, more information? Okay, so I am the administrator and the founder of the Carolina Bop Society. It is um, uh, it's on a Facebook page. It's called up Carolina Bop B O P mm-hmm. Society. Um, it you if and I can admit you once because it is a closed group. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just didn't want everybody f- flooding in on it. But I can admit you once once I uh, clear you, essentially. <laughs> I'll, I'll add you to the group and you'll have the whole listing of, of – and basically what, you, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get people to do is just – you don't have to t- contribute just to these Carolina folks, but I do – I mean that is the the main focus. You can right. contribute. You can add music. You can have uh, uh, articles. Mm-hmm. You can do things of that nature mm-hmm. with the Carolina Bop Society Facebook page. So it's just not strictly only for the Carolinians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, I have je- several other jazz pages that I belong to, okay. and we always contribute all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So so yeah, feel free to to um, look us up, Carolina Bop Society, um, and yeah, just. Post whatever you think is is relevant. Um, 
please keep it nice and clean. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, if you have something to contribute, yeah. by all means. Contribute. Well, Bill, this is a good use of social media to get oh, the yeah, word absolutely. out to continue to build upon this legacy. So we want I want to say personally, and I'm sure Marcus agrees too, to thank you for what you're doing through the Thanks Carolina Bomb Society you, to keep so this alive. We would appreciate you coming in to join us, and we're going to go out for a few minutes here listening to Thelonious Monk. Once again, thank you all for joining us, Marcus. That was a great conversation. It really was. Just, at least the start of a what I know will be a longer conversation. Yeah. I've enjoyed watching you in the studio <laughs> as you've had this conversation. Because I tell you, this is right up your alley. Oh, it is. <clears throat> I, I would just say this quickly. I think that I think that when, you know when, when we think about the African American cultural experience in this country, I really do think that jazz is right there at in the heart of that experience. Um, and, and many many researchers have recognized this. Many artists have recognized this um, and, and I hope that you know that future generations don't lose sight of the importance of jazz right. um, in the broader arc of the African American experience you know and Bill talked a, a, about MLK and, and Martin Luther King and what he had to say about jazz and I, you know, I've not really studied uh, this area of African American history and really want to dig deeper into it mm. because I'd be curious to see what people like W.E.B. Du Bois had to say about yeah. it or even Ida B. Wells were they talking about this uh, this cultural form so I want to do that yeah. but Marcus and I I want to thank you all for joining us again today and we want to remind you that the waters and harvest show is produced at blue ridge public radio in Asheville, north carolina and you can listen to our podcast on bpr.org on the bpr mobile app and on itunes and google play follow us and get in touch on facebook and twitter and marcus and i will see you all our talk with you all again next time take care <laughs>